Let's open our Bibles now to 2 Kings chapter 20. Thank you for being here this morning. And I, my kids have always asked me every year to stop the stupid joke about we won't see one another until next year and all that stuff. So I won't, I won't say that anymore. But this will be our last time together this year. <laughs> I know I violated that. All right, 2 Kings chapter 20. Um, we are looking at uh, the man, the king of Judah. Uh, in fact, there'd be set, there will be, the divided kingdom, Israel, had already been divided into the northern and the southern tribes. And uh, Israel was, um, in fact, it was during the reign of King Hezekiah, who was the king of Judah, when uh, the Assyrians would come and conquer Israel and bring them into Assyrian captivity. And uh, Hezekiah was the, the king of Judah that time. There would be seven more kings after him until Babylon would come and bring uh, the kingdom of Judah into Babylonian captivity. But Hezekiah was, for the most part, a godly man. And uh, we see that, that God uh, afflicted him with a mortal disease. It does not tell us what that was. But through the prophet Isaiah, uh, God let him know that uh, his life was going to come to an end. So look at, look at 2 Kings chapter 20. And it says in verse 1, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah the son of Amos came to him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Uh, that is a very sobering notification to get. And I want to remind you that not everybody gets a heads up when their number is called. Or to put it another way, not everyone is forewarned that their time on this earth is going to come to a close. You and I don't know. Will we be one of those ones where God takes us instantly, suddenly, unexpectedly, or will God uh, give us a heads up, forewarn us like he did with Hezekiah? In January of this year, started like any other year for my family. Uh, Mom and dad had been enjoying uh, their retirement years, uh, living in the home that I grew up in in Westchester. Uh, just they had a really sweet routine. And uh, they, they, they got the most out of life. They were really enjoying life. And then uh, something happened where in January, uh, something happened where my dad had to go to the hospital and, and he was given a choice. He said, you can, uh, he, he had a brain tumor, as many of you know. Thank you all the way. By the way, for all of you, you that prayed, he was given two options. He said, you can have surgery and follow up chemo and radiation and you might live from 12 to 15 months. If you don't, then you have about four to five months to live. That's a very sobering challenge. My dad opted to go for the surgery, and then for certain reasons we did not follow up with the chemo and radiation, and he ended up dying five months later. Then my mom, who I always thought would go first, uh, she lost her will to live. They were, the they were just their relationship, as I've already said to many of you, my mom and dad were deeply in love with one another. And um, my mom 
just no longer had a reason to live. And she gave up and she died six weeks and a day after my dad died. And it reminds me of the verse in Proverbs 18 and verse 14. It says the spirit of a man or the human spirit will sustain their infirmity, but a wounded or a crushed spirit who can bear. You know, it's amazing what the spirit of man, human fortitude, uh, what someone who sets their mind to something, it's amazing what they can endure. But when someone's spirit is crushed, and that, that was my mom. So here you and I are. God has been so good to us to give us 2023. He has. It's not a gift that any of us deserve. And as we head into tomorrow, 2024, we don't know uh, what's going to happen. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs 27 and verse 1, Boast not thyself of the morrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I'm also reminded that James, the the half-brother of Jesus, said in chapter 4, in verses 13 and 14, he said, You know not what shall be on the next day, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. See, you and I are not guaranteed tomorrow, no matter how old or how young we are. And this challenge to Hezekiah to set your house in order is a very good opportunity for us to step back and see if, as we'll find out today, what does that mean to set your, your house in order? Uh, and by the way, that phrase is found elsewhere. It's found twice in the Old Testament regarding Hezekiah. The text I read in 2 Kings 20, and then Isaiah uh, repeats the, the same challenge. But there's another man you may have heard of named Ahithophel. He was the counselor of David who betrayed David. Uh, and uh, was found out. And in 2 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 23, uh, I imagine Ahithophel must have been a very proud man. Because it says, When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey, arose, and got him home to his house, to his city. And he put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. So whatever this was that Hezekiah was challenged to do, that Ahithophel did before he died, is very important. So much so that Ahithophel uh, thought, you know what, I've got some things I need to take care of. I'm not ready to take my life now. And so he took care of those things, whatever they were. And then to hear from God, Hezekiah is told, You're going to die. Set your household in order. And I want to ask you this morning, is your house in order? And what does that even mean? House in order. When I think of that, I think of simply an orderly house. My wife loves this uh, particular YouTuber uh, lady who is a, um, she's an interior decorator. Uh, She's had me watch a few of them, and uh, I'm not as into interior decorating as my wife is, but she loves this gal. And, um, you know, we've been a little frustrated over the years. As you you live in a house and as you get more kids, stuff accumulates. Do you ever notice that? 
And our house was getting a little cluttered. And so my wife took a couple pictures of our living room. Because this lady, was, she's amazing. She's able to take these scattered, disorderly rooms and, and just transform them. So my, she was, uh, this lady was taking submissions. And my wife sent a picture of, of our living room and all. And, and then she got featured on one of the episodes where they took our pictures. And, um, and the lady was kind of brutal. <laughs> you know, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do that. Um, but it was all good stuff. And my wife has such respect for her. Uh, so we, like, cleaned most of the stuff off our book- bookshelves. Bookshelves can be one of the biggest places for clutter. And, uh, and so we set our house in order. Our living room looks wonderful. Come by sometime and we'll show you. You know, it, it's pretty awesome. Uh, is, that what, is that what God was telling um, Hezekiah? I used to love to explore abandoned houses. And there was only a two, one or two in our neighborhood. They were basically just like broken walls and all. But now, do you know there's a whole YouTube sensation on urban exploration and people will go into houses that have been abandoned some of them it looks like some of them they'll go into houses where it looks like the person just left one morning and all their stuff is as it was the time they died and it's amazing how much junk people have in their rooms and and it's pretty interesting too i you know i got into this for a little while where i started following a couple a couple urban explorers just because i love that that childhood itch to look at, at abandoned places and it's it's kind of sad because I'm looking around at my house and I'm thinking you know what someday I'm going to be gone and and you know what happens so was it that Hezekiah had a really messy house cluttered bookshelves this stuff on the ground hadn't gone through maybe Hezekiah was a hoarder you ever seen some of them houses? And God was saying, listen, Hezekiah, you're going to die, but your house is a disaster. You need to clean it up. That's not what he was saying. Now, that might have been part of it, maybe, but there's so much more to this idea of setting our houses in order. It really, the idea, folks, is it is, it is a, um, an analogy. It is a challenge. Basically, what he's saying is we need to get our affairs Affairs in order. For example, you know, sometimes people need a will. I remember a, a lawyer that focused on doing wills for others and then passed away suddenly. And I remember one of her sisters saying, you know, she had always intended to do her own will, but she never did it because she wasn't expecting to die that soon. And so there's so many things that, that have to do with Getting our affairs in order. And so I want to ask you, is your life in order? And what does that mean? Three things we're going to look at today that I think are the most critical, that are of utmost importance, because you and I don't know. We are not guaranteed 2024. None of us are. No matter, again, how young or how old we are. And so let's, Look at three things here that I believe are most critical. If our affairs, our life is going to be in order. Number one, we need to prepare for our eternal destiny. Number two, we need to prioritize lasting investments. You know, some of the things we invest in, whether it's our time or our money, uh, some of them have eternal value and can go 
go on forever. We can lay up treasure in heaven. And some of the things that we do, like the, the man who had uh, increased in goods and he, he didn't have enough room to store all his stuff, so he tore down his barns and built bigger uh, and he kept accumulating. Uh, and then God said to him, you are a fool because tonight your soul will be required of you. And then basically he said, and then what good is all that stuff going to do? And so some of us need to um, just think about the fact that what we do now can either have temporal value and be gone just like that or can have everlasting value. And then the third thing is putting our affairs in order. There's some things that we need to do, uh, perhaps uh, like getting a will and those kind of things that you are really not prepared to die uh, depending on where you are at in life. If you have a family, people depending on you, uh, it's even more important. So we're going to talk about all these things in the, uh, the next little amount of time. Uh, so first of all, the first thing we can do uh, to get our affairs in order uh, is found, and you don't need to turn here, but in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, we are reminded of a sobering truth that penetrated my heart as a young man uh, when I was challenged about heaven and hell. I was religious. I was brought up religious. I went to church every Sunday, not because I wanted to, but I did. And I thought for sure, you know, God, God and I, we've got to be good. Here's what Hebrews 9.27 says. It is appointed unto men once to die and after this. You know how many people hear that and say, oh, wait a minute, you don't understand. When you die, there is no after this. That's it. You're done. Kaput. Life is over. You don't go on. Well, if God is a liar or God isn't speaking through his word, you're right. But what if he is speaking? And what if the Bible is true? It is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. You know, people, people love gambling today. And by the way, in Pennsylvania, it's now legal and you, you hear you know, all this sports betting and people are losing tons of money uh, through, the, through this whole gambling. But I cannot think of a bigger gamble than presuming that God has not spoken through His Word and therefore, after we die, there's nothing when God says, and the Bible says, after this, the judgment. Have you ever gotten hold of that? Have you really ever thought of the fact that Moral crimes must be punished. Would you agree with that? Moral crimes must be punished. And then I would ask you, have you ever committed, a, have you ever sinned? Have you ever transgressed moral commandments that God has articulated? And if you have, do, do you believe that moral crimes should be punished? And by the way, there's a lot of people that have despaired when they see what happens. Um, I think of the concentration camps. I think of what Hamas has did, done recently and just to people that get away with murder and, there's, and people don't see the immediate judgment and they think, how could there be a God if He allows such evil to take place? Oh, there is a God. And sentence against an evil work will 
be executed. Count on it. But that's not just the people that have hurt you or sinned against you. That also applies to us. And then thirdly, or, or rather let's continue this thought, preparing for our eternal destiny. You know, the second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, Paul says this. He says, behold, he's getting our attention. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Do you realize that so many people put off thinking about heaven and hell until it is too late? I was challenged when I was 17 years old. I went innocently enough, I went to a spa to work out. And in that context, the manager was a born-again Christian uh, and ended up presenting the gospel to me and my friends from high school. And at that time, after a few times of hearing this man talk, I began to realize, wait a minute, what this man is saying is that if I'm not born again, according to the Bible, I'm not going to heaven. And I remember as that dawned on me, my friends, most of them didn't have time to consider that. They were 16, 17, and we were, they were all like, this guy's a religious fruitcake. You know, born again, yeah, I don't got time for religion. I'll deal with that later. I wonder how many people of my friends, some of them I already know, they intended to deal with it later, and then God did not give them to a ripe old age. Have you settled your eternal destiny? Are you sure that if you died today, that you would go to heaven? Or are you like... Certain people that heard the Apostle Paul preach, like Felix in Acts chapter 17, or people identified as others in Acts chapter 24, where they heard the gospel, they comprehended briefly the implications, and they put a pin in it. You know, they, they said, oh, I'll deal with this later. Listen to what, with Felix, Acts 17.32. And when they heard the resurrection of the dead... Some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. That's the others. They, they heard it. They, he was preaching the resurrection of the dead. Some of them said, This is a joke. Others said, You know what? i got to think through this. We'll hear you later. And there's no reference if they did. Some probably did. Maybe some did not. Listen to Felix in Acts chapter 24 and verse 25. Paul reasoned of righteousness temperance and judgment to come Felix trembled this man's under conviction and answered go thy way for this time when I have a convenient season I will call for thee there's no record that he ever followed up on that you know you might not be given much more time you don't know what 2024 is going to hold and if it's the time that God calls you home, calls you, your life on this earth is done, what's it say? It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Have you set your house in order? Are you prepared for eternity? And by the way, the only way has nothing to do with joining a church. has everything to do with what Jesus Christ did on the cross for the sins of mankind. In, um, back in 2008, there was a motivational speaker by the name of Randy Posh. 
he uh, was diagnosed with a severe cancer. I forget which kind of cancer he had. Um, but when he found that out and realized his time was limited, he moved to Norfolk, Virginia with his wife and three kids because he wanted to, uh, them to have a place to live. And he began to go around as a motivational speaker with this disease. And at one point, finally, the disease had progressed and the doctor said, you have three to six months of, of normal living uh, before you're, you're going to start to decline. And uh, he gave a very popular motivational speech that, that's on YouTube. I think there's at least three million viewers uh, at this time. It's called Last Lecture, and it was on dying. And the guy was ve very personable, very engaging. Um, in fact, he was, he, he was, when you look at him, he was the epitome of being in shape. He even joked about it. He said, I'm in better shape than many of you. And he just jumped down and did push-ups. And everybody laughed because he was so, you know, fun-natured about it. But he also mocked deathbed conversion. Now, in fact, he, he made it, it clear in the beginning of it. He says, I'm not gonna, what I'm going to be talking about, what I'm not going to be talking about, I'm not going to be talking about spirituality or deathbed conversion. And then he joked around. He said, actually, I had a deathbed conversion just recently. I switched to Apple. You know, that, and that was it. But you know what happened with Randy Posh? He died. In fact, it was just months after. Uh, and he was 47 years old. He, this was back in 2008, July 25th. And he died. Behold, it's appointed unto men once to die. I don't know whether he had a genuine deathbed conversion. And by the way, having a, a biblical, scriptural, Bible-believing conversion is not switching from, uh, you know, Android to Apple or any of that stuff. It's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, having your sins dealt with. Jesus said, if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. You, you are not prepared for death if you die in your sins. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'm just going to touch this point briefly because I did a message a couple weeks ago when I was dealing with um, faith promise. And we, I did a series from Matthew 6. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on heaven. Um, and, uh, and I talked about investing in better things. So the second point is prioritizing lasting investments. It's amazing how many people live for the temporal, live for pleasure, live for the next high or good feeling. And their life is so shallow. Paul, when he got saved, changed his perspective on how he was going to live this life. You've heard me quote this a lot. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said, We look not at the things which are seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Someone made a choice as a young man that would end up taking his life at the age of 28. And you would, most of you would hear that and you'd say, what kind of fool would make a choice that would end his life at the age of 28? 
That man made this statement a few years before he died. And this statement is very profound. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That man's name was Jim Elliott. Some of you have heard of Jim Elliott. He uh, was born in 1927. And uh, as described by his wife Elizabeth about him, uh, the defining pursuit of Jim Elliott's life was to intimately know God and tell others of him and obey his every call. Jim Elliott, along with his wife Elizabeth, traveled to the Ecuadorian jungle. And on January 8th, 1956, while attempting to make contact with the people, the Ayuka tribe, Jim and four other missionaries were speared to death, killed by the very men that he went to minister to. That was years ago, 28 years old. And yet, the legacy of Jim Elliott has been huge. And his wife, what a testimony. She went back to the same tribe that killed her husband and lived with them, and at least one of, her, one of her daughters when she was young, and she began to go bring the gospel to fulfill what both her and her husband did. What an amazing thing. Can you imagine if, you know, the person that killed your husband, would, you, would your first desire be, I want to see them saved? Or wouldn't it be, I want to see them revenged? I want to see them pay for what they did. And so, and Elizabeth Elliot lived to be... I think 88, she, she died at the age of 88. And she had, you know, she not only carried her husband's legacy, she had a whole legacy of her own. What a blessing. You see, Jim Elliott said, again, he is no fool. And he was not a fool. Who gives what he cannot keep. That's his life, our life. To gain what he cannot lose. That's eternal life. So which... Are you laying up treasures? Which are you investing in? Are you trying to gain the things of this earth which you cannot keep in order to keep the things of eternity that you can? You know, Psalm 90 and verse 12, I believe it's the Psalm of Moses. Moses, If not, it's David. But he says, So teach us to number our days, O Lord. Remember that verse? Lord, teach us to number. Count our days. Why do we need to count our days? By the way, that's what we're doing. That's what America does every New Year's. You know, we do, we do it maybe more than others. Not that we're more spiritual or anything. We just, i never forget when, um, when Gore came from Liberia and I found out that uh, in Liberia they don't make a big deal about birthdays. And, you know, we make such a big deal about birthdays. Maybe because we're so self-centered, you know. Hey, today's September 3rd. It's my birthday. Everybody pay attention to me. You know, and Gore's like, I remember the first time. Gore, when's your birthday? And he was, she, you know, real sheepish, him and Holland. Gore, when's your birthday? I don't know. You know, they just don't know. They don't count that kind of thing. So when the, the Bible says, teach us to number our days, it's not saying make a big deal about birthdays, okay? But what it is saying is, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. In other words, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day will bring forth. Take stock and realize this life is temporary. Remember what James said. It is like a vapor 
that peereth for a little time and vanisheth away. Corey Ten Boom. Many of you have read The Hiding Place. Uh, there's a new book out that uh, follows up on The Hiding Place and that uh, after Corey Ten Boom went through all she went through, um, for many years after the war, she traveled across the country to 60 different countries sharing her story. And uh, either one or two people have gotten together and compiled some of the things uh, and then they just published a book that's kind of a follow-up. It's called The Watchmaker's Daughter. Listen to what Corey Ten Boom said. One of the things she said, she said, Because I had lived so close to death, looking it in the face day by day, I often felt like a stranger among my own people, many of whom looked upon money, honor of men, and success as the important issues of life. You know how many people lose sight, lose perspective on what's important, and they live for the here and now, never giving any regard for eternity. That describes, as she said, most of my countrymen, that describes most people today. We just don't think much about eternity and the afterlife. Finally, go back to 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 1. No, you know what? Let's do this. Let's go to Isaiah 38 and verse 1. Because it's exactly the same thing that 2 Kings 20 and verse 1 says. But let me read to you. Isaiah 38 and verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And by the way, we, we just read the story this morning in 2 Kings that Hezekiah responded by humbling himself. He was broken. He cried out to God for mercy, and God gave him 15 extra years. Most people believe he died. He ended up dying 15 years later, but it was, he was still in his early 50s. But there's been debate about what does it mean? Set thine house in order. Some people, some commentators say that's uh, just the same thing as saying make a will. Other commentators say, well, wait a minute. Hezekiah was a king, and so his, him setting his affairs in order was different than just anybody else. And they said what he had to do, what God was telling him was, you know, appoint an heir to your throne. You're not even ready to leave because you don't have anyone to take over the, you know, your kingship. Well, the problem is that his son, Manasseh, wouldn't come along for three more years after this. So if God was getting ready to kill him, uh, it's hardest for God to say, okay, you you need to appoint a king even though you don't have any children yet. You know, clearly this idea of setting your house in order has the idea of putting things to setting order to your life preparing for your death my sister uh, my younger well both my sisters are younger one of them uh, was because she lives in Westchester she was appointed the executor of my parents estate and um, man that's a big job big job uh, I was the executor to Peg, Peg Rogers' estate. Big job. Even, even though she didn't have much. Um, but, you know, somebody is going to have to step in when you die and set things in order. And, and you need to think through that. There's a saying that um, 
older people really love to, to, to quote. I, I'm not that old yet that I've quoted it. But um, it, has to, it says, I am spending my children's inheritance. You ever heard of that? You know, and, and you know, maybe you, know, you want to do that, but somebody's going to have to step in and clean up after you've left. And if you've not set a will of what your desires are, it is going to get messy. If you have, especially if you have kids, more than one, or relatives. I have seen relatives crawl out of the woodwork that the, the loved one that died didn't, almost didn't think they existed because they wanted nothing to do with them until they die. And like all of a sudden they're seeing money. It's just sad. It is so very sad. So what, what do you need to do to set your affairs in order? You need to get saved. You are not prepared to die. If you've not gotten right with God, Scripture, prepare to meet thy God. Again, when I was 17, I found that that was very unusual for young people. So many of my friends just didn't want to, you know, we'll think about that tomorrow. And God had allowed something to happen to me just a few months before I began hearing the gospel that made me very, very conscious that I was mortal. When a friend and I were working and he fell through a skylight. And uh, maybe, I, I, sometimes I think maybe that's why I was paying a little more attention to my own vulnerability and death. I want to share the story of a kind of a modern day Jim Elliott. A man that was martyred in 2018. His name was John Allen Chow. He was only 26 years old. And in many ways, his life paralleled Jim Elliot. In fact, Jim Elliot was one of his heroes, inspired him to go. Uh, he, he lived in Washington, the Washington state, and God put a burden on his heart to evangelize the Centalese, um, which is a, a, a group of people, about 200 people living on the North Sentinel Island in the Bay of Bengal. And um, he went there to, to minister and preach the gospel. In fact, upon his first arrival uh, at the island, resulted in violence, but he escaped unscathed. He wrote in his diary that though he feared a second trip might mean his own death, he accepted God's will for him, quote-unquote, I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. And then that second time, he was killed uh, when he went to bring the gospel. And now... Uh, there is a National Geographic documentary about him called The Mission. National Geographic. You think they're going to represent Christians pretty good? No, no, they don't. Um, and of course, that's the most controversial thing about this man's life is um, some people claim that he, uh, you know, he, he was a sensationalist. In fact, a close friend, an accountability partner, of um, of his said this of um, of John Allen Chow. He said, "My friend, my friend did something stupid and courageous. He knew he had no business doing." And then his pastor said this: "Odds are Chow's mission was idealism masquerading as God's calling." It's sad when even your own pastor isn't behind you, uh, but you know they knew the man better than I did. But what's saddest is his father 
made a comment, and this got apparently in the documentary. I've not seen the documentary. But his father said this. He, um, he was never a supporter of the mission. And he blames, quote-unquote, radical evangelical extremism for his son's reckless mistake. Now, his father, I believe, was not a believer. And so it does not surprise me that his dad, I mean, that's just sad to me. Radical evangelical extremism, like believing people need to hear about Jesus Christ before you die. Is that what you call radical extremism? That's the message of the Bible. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel to every creature. Without the gospel, there is no hope of eternal life. So I want to ask you something. Is your life in order? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, help us to meditate on this simple truth of stepping back and looking at our own life because we don't know what's going to happen in 2024. And Father, right now we're thinking about these things because we just highlighted them from your word. I just exhorted these precious people. But Lord, as often is the case, we set things on the back burner and we think, well, that is something I should probably consider pretty soon. And, and then we never think about it. And Father, we don't know. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. So Lord, if there's folks here today that are not saved, that are not prepared for death, help them to realize that it's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. Help them to consider the claims of the gospel and who Jesus Christ was. And settle this matter. Perhaps, Father, there's believers here who have taken care of that. They've gotten saved. They made professions of faith, but they're not living for the things of eternity. They're so earthly minded that there'll be one of those mentioned in 1 Corinthians 3 that are saved yet so as by fire. Father, help us to begin to lay up treasures in heaven to to begin to invest in things that last, not fleeting, momentary things. And then, Father, as far as the practical, help those who have not set their affairs right. Maybe some folks need to, to make out a will and articulate their wishes. Uh, maybe people need to just talk to their relatives and communicate their desires. And uh, maybe some need to challenge their children or grandchildren uh, regarding heaven so that someday they can see their children or grandchildren again. Father, whatever it is, help us to set our life and our affairs in order. Help us not to put it off till next year because we're not guaranteed that we'll be celebrating New Year's Eve next year this time. So Lord, help us to learn from these things and we'll thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.